You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. And we are back with Father Tim Grumbach in studio with us, the associate pastor at St. Augustine Parish and a regular guest here, giving up his one day off a week to come and spend it here in studio with Trending. This is the best way to spend the day off. (laughs) Always talking about fun topics in here. We're going to be discussing this actually alarming trend that has come out that essentially for the last three years, there's been a decline in life expectancy among the younger people only in the United States after years of trends of historical patterns showing that we were having longer um, life expectancies than before. So we'll come to that in just a bit. We'll also be talking about infertility, surrogacy, kind of the tie-in with eugenics. So don't go away. We have a lot packed into today's show. Father Tim, also, we're going to be talking about this new story that came out about how the title claims that this lesbian couple is the first to carry a baby in both their wombs. It came out from the Telegraph. So we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. So be sure not to miss it. Yeah, we're so excited to be looking at the the quantity of life, right? But really, we're so excited even more to talk about the quality of life and the gift that God has given to us in life, created in the image and the likeness of God. And so there's so much we have to say about that today. Amen to that. So let's start about this trend, I mean, it's just so surprising in some ways, because I remember growing up, you know, people are saying, man, people are living longer than they ever did before. You know, life expectancy is going up, especially for women. You know, men tend to die a little more often in sometimes more violent ways. But now we've seen this reversal of a historical pattern. In fact, for three consecutive years, Father Tim, you sent this over to me, people age 25 to 64, you're supposed to be in your prime in these years. You know, your career's booming, maybe you're heading into retirement at this point. And yet this is where we're seeing many people are dying and even more so among the age 25 to 34. Yeah, it's easy to kind of laugh about it a little bit and say, well, good, I've made it past that limit. Um, but uh, it's a really alarming trend. And one of the first things that a lot of you know the reporting is looking at is trying to find out the reasons for this. But I'm really convinced that they're still looking more so at the symptoms rather mm-hmm. than at what the, the underlying root cause of you know, shorter lifespans are. And they're able to point out a few different things in this article. One of, the, one of these is the opioid crisis, yes. which is a, a serious thing that we're looking at in all parts of the world. You know, we can see these things, I can say, you know, see it sometimes in my own parish, to right. see it in the streets right, side, right outside of our parish, and it's coming into the church buildings. And so this is something that's happening in families and in friendships, and it's... Uh, this is not just uh, statistics. This is what's happening in our families and in our streets and in our lives. And I think the question always is, why the opioid crisis? Why the other causes? I mean, one of the big things they talk about as well is obesity and how we're seeing that men on average weigh 30 pounds more than they used to. And also that Almost 20% of children aged 2 to 19 are obese. We're also seeing that women are dying of diseases that were more common to men, even things such as suicide, liver disease, and other issues. 
it's just showing across the board. And in fact, Ella Mira, who works at the Department Institute for Health and Policy Clinic practice, she was commenting about how there's actually something more and really fundamental, essentially, to how people are feeling about themselves, uh, feeling about, you know, their futures as well. And essentially, it's leading them to be destructive in the way they interact with their day-to-day life and self-care, really. Yeah, that word destructive is so key, is that when we see something as destructive as this, we want to know the reasons why. Yeah. And again, you know, as we've already pointed out, that this article can look at you know, obesity, opioid crisis, other health trends that are on their way down. But what this really called to mind for me was something that I had heard mentioned by uh, Archbishop Chapu over mm-hmm. in Philadelphia this year after a couple of the you know, terrible shootings that happened in our country. Uh, earlier this year, there was El Paso and then yes. there was Gilroy. And in response to this, he called to mind what he had gone through as the bishop in Denver uh, at the Columbine shooting and his chance to be with families and not to try to fix anything, but just to be in the grief with them. And so he knows it firsthand, uh, the kind of uh, grief that comes when life is lost at such a young age. And he recognized that so much of the response from our nation is trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we uh, bandage these wounds? And they begin to look at not so much the root cause of it, but what are the symptoms? And he, mm. he names a, a number of very important things uh, that are, are systematically Uh, ruining these young lives. And he's looking at sexual anarchy, personal excess, political hatreds, intellectual dishonesty, and perverted freedoms. And that he says that these are something that we've created over the past half century or so, and they've become idols for us. And until we cast those idols down, we're not going to be able to really fix any problems with, he actually advocates for gun control. And there's almost nothing you can say about that issue without being controversial. But he recognizes that gun control is not enough. It's just a bandage to put over these wounds that we need to dig deeper. We need to find a deeper healing and to look at these things that are not being spoken of when violence happens in our nation. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. If you want to share this episode or maybe you can't full listen to the full episode, head over to radiotrending.com or your favorite podcasting app and be sure to subscribe. Father Tim, you talked about at the beginning of the show, ultimately this respect for human life. And I really see at the heart of this decline in life expectancy, uh, especially for people who should be in their prime age 25 to 34. Uh, essentially, what we're seeing is I think it has a lot to do with the virtue of chastity, which it hits on the idea of self-respect, dignity, understanding that there's a value to my life and there's a value to another person's life. You know, the vir- the life of a virtuous person understands that my whole life has been given to me as a gift. I am a gift. I am worthy to receive gifts from God. I have my heavenly father and I too see value in the other people created. I see great dignity that that there's worth there and there's something to respect just as a person, not just based on what you do. And I think that that's the difficulty is when we lose a sense of chastity, kind of being faithful to our vocation as a child of God, whatever state in life we're in, uh, we lose sight of holding to any sense of value in terms of how we eat, how we exercise, how we pray even. 
And I love that you brought up this virtue of chastity as uh, part of the thing that will heal at the root of this violence that we continue to see and this drop in life expectancy. And people will say, oh, that's the Catholic Church again, getting, you know, Talk hung, about sex. getting hum <laughs> hung up on sex again. Um, but the Catholic Church is the first to say that chastity isn't all about sex. Yeah. It is about integrating our sexuality into yeah. our daily lives and recognizing, in, I, I love the language of the catechism referring to chastity as a school of the gift of self. Mm -hmm. But it's also a matter of self-mastery that allows us to love not just from an expression of sexuality, but that expression of self-gift, of being made a gift to another person, not just giving gifts. You know, we've got Christmas coming forward, and that's one of the most important things for a lot of people is how to give the best gift, how to uh, express my relationship based on what I can give to another person. And we forget that the, the more difficult but more important gift that we make is of ourselves. And so when we as a culture are no longer able to speak with that language, let alone live with that language, what John Paul II would call you know, a language of the body in our sexuality, to tell the truth with our bodies mm -hmm. in our sexuality, mm -hmm. when we're no longer able to tell that truth that we are created in the image and the likeness of God, but rather you know, fall into a, a culture of sexual perversion, then that is going to affect the way that we can simply love the people that are right in front of us. And then that will lead to a violence that may be very subtle at first, but then can desensitize us to greater and greater acts of violence. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, feel so empty, alone, unloved, all these things. And this is what's so interesting about literally the light of Christ just exploding into the world once November 1st hits because people love the Christmas lights. They love the happy songs. And why is that? Even if they don't realize it, it's the light of Christ literally radiating in their lives and recognizing that this world is a gift. I'm going to light it up at night and recognize it and sing about it. But sometimes we, we need to help people see this is why we're so excited to bring that light into the world at this time of the year. Yeah, we're getting excited as a parish because we're getting closer and closer to finishing our capital campaign for the archdiocese. And uh, we were hoping to you know kind of be on our last stages of you know receiving pledges uh, during these last couple of weeks. But, you know, we've got some work to do. And it looks like it'll be more during the time of epiphany when we celebrate that the, the Magi bringing their gifts to the child Jesus. And we're like, we got an easy preaching point right there. You know, <laughs> they brought gold. You can leave the frankincense and myrrh at home, but bring your gold to the church. But we're laughing about this, but we know as the priests given a, a pastoral responsibility over these people to call them to the great generosity that God has created our hearts for. And then that means, you know, the Magi didn't just bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought the gifts of themselves, the gifts of well, themselves as Gentiles. They brought the world to the manger, mm -hmm. to the one who made a gift of himself so that we too can be gifts ourselves to the world. And when we forget that we were made as gifts to one another, that we belong to one another, Mother Teresa would say that's why there's suffering and war in the world. I keep coming back to that quote you and I were just talking about on the show multiple times now, but again, just two weeks ago of uh, Fulton Sheen, mm -hmm. right? And how he talks about how the world is full of half crucified souls, mm -hmm. souls who have come up off of the cross after an hour, after two hours, after two hours and 59 minutes, they weren't willing to go the distance. And this is the challenge as Catholics to go the distance, to endure all for the glory of God because he's already given us everything. And you guys, we've got to remember this. The goal isn't just this life here and now. We're called to live a good, virtuous life. 
but the goal is heaven. That is what we are orienting ourselves to. We'll be right back on Trending with Father Tim Grumbach. We'll be talking more about the theme of surrogacy and eugenics. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. I'm back with Father Tim Grumbach. First, a message from our underwriters here at Trending. Solidarity Health Share is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctors that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity Health Share helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity Health Share is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at solidarityhealthshare.org. That's solidarityhealthshare.org. Speaking of health, we were talking about this decline in essentially the age of 25 to 64 are not living as long as they, as they used to be. There are quite a few deaths taking place in that age range. But it reminded me of another story that I read that uh, it was one of those trigger stories for me, Father Tim. And that was about these babies who are contracting sexually transmitted diseases, which I saw a lot happening in the crisis pregnancy centers when I was working there. But what we are not talking about is that babies are dying from these sexually transmitted diseases. Just in 2018 alone, there are 1,306 cases of newborn babies with syphilis from their moms. Yeah, this is a major issue, especially even right here in California. Yes. And we see it uh, with this this rise in, in these diseases, but also we're seeing it as because of a result of drug use as well, with methamphetamines being a, a major contributing factor to the death of these children and really being born sick. And what I did notice about this article was what I saw just about the drop in life expectancy as well, is there's so much focus on what could be called the symptoms rather than what's the root cause of this. And so much of the effort is being put into, you know, this is a failure of healthcare. And how do we you know, pump more funding and more money into healthcare so that you know, this can be resolved? And while that is a, a, a major step forward is to create a healthcare system that can care for those who need it, but there's a major problem be- being ignored here is what is the greater cultural sickness that is leading to this? Absolutely. And I think that that's what we were talking about in the last segment, the need for a greater respect for ourselves and others, understanding that everything we have from God is a gift. You know, the theme of how Christmas is starting early because we start the day after Halloween. Now, you know, we want that light of Christ going on in our lives, but we're losing perspective. And I hope that this story will wake you up if you're listening, or maybe it's a story you can use to wake some other people up. You guys looking at just 2018 from 2017 to 2018, there was a 40% rise of babies born with syphilis just in 27, just in 2018, there were almost 80 babies that were stillborn as a result of contracting syphilis from their moms and 16 died after birth. You guys, this is tragic. And here's the deal. These parents 
deserve better than giving birth to a dead baby or a baby with syphilis or a baby that dies not long after birth. And yes, we can point back and say that they made mistakes. They, you know, were sexually promiscuous. We could go on and on. But the reality is, is that this is what our culture is breeding, a lack of respect for one another. And at a certain point, we've got to turn around and say, how am I contributing to this? Yeah, and it's also pointing out that, uh, especially among the, the homeless population, there are a lot. There are more and more uh, women who are pregnant in the home, homeless population. And how do we care for these women? You know, recognizing that you know we we can't put them back in the past and say, oh, you made this mistake and now you're mm-hmm. stuck with this. That is the opposite of the Christian perspective. But I am seeing more and more of these beautiful small organizations create housing for women to yes. care for them. Again, that's another one of the pro-choice arguments: is that you know we pro-lifers don't care for the the women; we only care for the unborn children. And that when the, the children are born, we leave them out in the cold. But what I'm seeing is these beautiful organizations that are creating housing for women so that they can be cared for if they're, if they're homeless yeah. um, before and after the child is born and to help them get back on their feet. So it's not just a matter of you know, bandaging something up for a little while, but creating something where they can have a, a stronger foundation. I know that you were recently at a dinner for one in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, there's a beautiful home called Harvest Home. Right. And the Archdiocese is actually somewhat partnering up with them to give them them a new property as well so they can almost triple how many rooms that they have available for the uh, women who are homeless and pregnant and the story goes further than that they're they're helping them to create new lives yeah. so that when they are out of harvest home itself that they they're you know they have their own homes and yeah. they can raise their children and it's a such a beautiful thing to see that we're not giving up when we're told that all we care about is unborn children and that we don't care for the actual children that once they're born and for the mothers and we will keep on saying it we will love them both and you know this is something that we need to help people who are pro abortion understand because I am in dialogue all the time with people who they cannot even fathom that we would help them find a free place to live, that we would help them get a car. And I've said this over and over again, you know, the crisis pregnancy centers, the maternity homes are there. The sources, the resources are almost unlimited. And I remember one woman looking at me and she's saying, but where does that money come from? Do they get government funding? And I kind of just laughed. Actually, a lot of the time they don't. I said, it's just a matter of requesting, whether it's to the church community or just the donors that support that center. People want to help. And I saw this firsthand. My parents opened up a crisis pregnancy center when I was a little girl and when no one was able to, or sorry, a maternity home. And when no one was able to kind of be the live-in parents for the maternity home for a period of time, my parents packed up our house and I lived there with my parents as they really mentored the young moms. And I saw miracles done in people's lives. I saw people coming out of poverty, terrible circumstances, you know, children who were placed for adoption. I mean, this is the power of Christians who are willing to stay on that cross, as we talked about earlier, and make it to the end to give the gift of life to other people. Yeah. And to give that gift, it requires so much generosity. Yeah. And that's definitely a word that's been on my heart a lot over the last couple of years, but especially this week is this idea of generosity as being something more than just giving materially, but it has to start from you know being inside. There has to be something inside of us that recognizes the generosity that is God's very own life and the generosity of the incarnation, the generosity of the miracles, the generosity of the preaching and the passion and the resurrection and the ascension. It's all from a place where, where the generosity of God can't be contained in heaven or on earth. And, you know, to invite that into our own hearts. And 
it seems that the pro-choice argument would say, well, we need our government to be generous and pour all this money into uh, allowing for safe access to abortions without recognizing that we have a real handle in the pro-life movement on generosity because it's it's not easy. It's It demands so much of us. And we're asking you know, the, the women who have these decisions to make and, and the men in their lives to... Um, to trust that a radical generosity that costs everything is who our God is. And that's how he pours his life into the world and continues to do so. And that it's a, it's a love and it's a generosity that has to start in us and be poured out. And, you know, you know, yeah, we're going to need some government funding, but it has to begin with our desire to pour out what belongs to us and to be generous of heart. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Speaking of this overall, you know, decline in life expectancy for people here in the United States, it made me think of the story that you sent over, Father Tim, of the conversion of the Pittsburgh Steeler rookie quarterback, Devlin Hodges. And just, man, I'm reading this story from the National Catholic Register about his conversion, and he is full of joy and hope and love, and he has complete peace in his life. It is incredible to see that's what our culture is missing. And you can tell that his life has been radically transformed, that he is just bubbling over wanting to share about his conversion. Yeah, you don't see this in the you know the athletic world so much, especially in professional sports. And uh, to read an interview from this young man, and he's going into like John six and the 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 presence of Christ's you know body uh, really and truly in the Eucharist in the body and blood. And it's really powerful to see a young man who did not grow up Catholic but had a conversion along with his family and was welcomed into the church, and how part of that. Uh, Catholic conversion was inspired by another professional quarterback in the NFL, Philip Rivers, with yeah. the now Los Angeles Chargers. I, I keep saying, I keep wanting to say San Diego. People are bitter in San Diego. Yeah, right. It's yeah. really killed the spirit of the sports season. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's a, a beautiful thing to see in the in professional sports that that's the kind of inspiration that some young men are receiving, and that's why they want to become professional athletes. But also that's why they want to become Catholic. Is you know Philip Rivers also being from North Alabama and. Uh, and a Catholic, this inspired Hodges to, as a part of his own conversion. But there were some really amazing things. You know, one thing is that Hodges really has become the starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers over the last few weeks. And it's on the heels of a really, one of the most dramatic moments in the NFL this year was when the quarterback who was ahead of him was, some are saying, using the languages, attacked on the field. You know, how could you be attacked on the football field? Well, he had his helmet ripped off of him, and the, um, the, the guy who ripped the helmet off of him tr- hit him in the head with his own helmet. Oh, wow. This is the quarterback before Hodges. And it, it, it made national news, and some people were calling for this man to be prosecuted and, and everything like that. And so this is the situation that Hodges is stepping into, requiring leadership and though many probably will not use this language, healing for the team because it was, it was a dramatic situation. Uh, both sides made their mistakes. The quarterback before him probably uh, deserved some kind of aggression towards him being on the football field, but nothing quite as dramatic as having his own helmet swung at him. And so for Hodges to step into the situation and, and to bring his faith into it as well, maybe not explicitly yeah. in the locker room, but on the field to bring that kind of leadership that comes from his faith. 
to bring who he is though yeah i think yeah. that that's the thing when we're called when we are christian we're called to conversion of ourselves but also to be a witness to others to be the light of the world right to be that witness and i'm sure without even mentioning his faith something different is about him that he shows by how he interacts yeah and he knows his faith is affecting his field because when interviewed about going to mass before a game yes. he says that one of his linemen uh, Alejandro Villanueva, who's, who's very Catholic as well, says he protects me during the game, but that role actually starts in mass with I his love prayers. That part. Yeah, yeah. An amazing witness to the faith, not just in the locker room, but on the field as well. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Our favorite guest here on Trending, let's be honest, Father Tim Grumbach is with us. He is from St. Augustine Parish in Los Angeles. I hear some of our listeners have been making trips over to visit you there at St. Augustine. Almost everywhere I go, I'm running into somebody who listens to Trending and really appreciates what's happening, not just when I'm on the show, but just the show in general. And it's, uh, you know, I had a, a young man uh, mention something about it. I think he was visiting from New York or something like that and wanted to come by the parish. And so it's really humbling to know that uh, this has that kind of reach. I really ask you guys that. Please share trending. You can join our mission and really support the work that we're doing by sharing about the show with other people. Maybe you send one episode. Maybe you go right now and make sure that you subscribe. You can head over to radiotrending.com, hit the subscribe page and find out where we're at, whether you like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Please support our work and do not miss an episode. Again, you can head over to radiotrending.com. We're going to really tie in this theme of quote unquote reproductive rights, mm. which is essentially fertility, women's fertility. And I've got to start with this story that came out. Governor Tom Wolfs uh, of Pennsylvania, he has vetoed. And I'm just shocked at, you know, I'm kind of almost choking on my words here because he vetoed a bill, HB, a House Bill 321, which is the Down Syndrome Protection Act. You guys, before I even get into this, other countries are literally aborting babies who are diagnosed with a prenatal diagnosis almost up to 100% if they're diagnosed with Down syndrome. Here in the United States, we're almost at 70% of our babies with Down syndrome that are being aborted. Uh, and this bill, uh, which passed again through the House and the Senate, would have ended up, or sorry, I mean the Assembly in the State Senate, um, it would have ended up becoming law. It would have created a protection if a baby was diagnosed with a prenatal diagnosis, that baby would not allowed to be aborted because that would be eugenics. That would be selective abortions. Yet he vetoed this bill. Yeah, we're being extremely casual with eugenics, aren't we, as a nation right now? I, I think I saw just another article recently, too, just a, a glimpse at it, showing that they're, they're trying to, even on like a matching date matching sites, are uh, offering the ability to match DNA with people so that you could have pro you know the, the perfect genetic child it, should you get married and and uh, and have children and you know somebody <laughs> said we are being extremely casual with eugenics and not using that language but we need to continue to use that language and to call it for what it is 
And this is most unfortunate because I don't know how many of you know who have friends who have Down syndrome right. and or friends who have children who have Down syndrome is that they are some of the most beautiful people that, that we will ever meet, such genuine joy. And I, I have a friend who, who has very good friends who have Down syndrome and, and he said, you know, these, these people in a sense are living what heaven is going to be like now. Not to say that it's an easy life for them or for their families, but the joy with which they live and almost this you know, nonchalant, without a care sense of like, I don't, I don't care, I'm going to dance and sing right here. Is, isn't that what heaven's going to be like in a sense? And and it, yeah. It's amazing to see some of the childlike um, joy that comes out of the men and women who experience Down syndrome and have literally dedicated their lives, have come out into the open and have become advocates mm-hmm. for people with Down syndrome. I mean, who are we to judge and say that your life should not have taken place? Yeah. What was it just a year or two ago that Iceland came out and mm-hmm. said, we have eradicated yes. Down syndrome and we... Had to be very clear. No, you've not eradicated eradicated Down syndrome. You have eradicated people with Down syndrome yeah. through the use of abortion, and it's you know we can't call it anything else but eugenics. Absolutely. And here's one piece that I really need people to hear me when I say this: prenatal diagnoses are wrong all the time, all the time. I mean, I just want to repeat that: prenatal diagnoses are wrong all of the time and the problem is is that they take that prenatal diagnosis that should be if you decide to do it helpful for if maybe it is something that's treatable in utero some type of in utero surgery or treatment or after the baby's born to prepare but the problem is is that people who receive prenatal diagnosis are being pressured to abort immediately if there's even some slight complication or even slight belief that there could be something wrong. I mean, this is what's so sad. And I see women all the time, friends, family, women in the crisis pregnancy centers who come in who have so much anxiety over getting these tests done when we should, if we decide to do them, which I think it's great, do it, but have the attitude of, I'm just thankful for the possibility of this information and to help prepare my heart for the gift of the life that's to come. Yeah, and there's so many beautiful stories that I'm coming across in my ministry of of mothers and their children who will say, you know, the doctor tried to tell me to abort my child yes. or they're telling me, you know, they tried to tell my mother to abort me and here I am, yep. very healthy. And while we know that that's not always the case is that sometimes, you know, children are, are born with, with great um, disabilities um, that can be noticed before they're born, but we as as Christians also have to um, be very vocal about uh, this as eugenics. But also, what are we doing as a people to support the parents when they receive a, a prenatal diagnosis like this? And you know, are are we there to help them as a family to grow as a family? Are we there to help support them when they can't support themselves? So this is definitely more than just about naming eugenics what it is, but being a Christian society that they can say like they did in the early church, there's something different about these Christians. They don't just expose their children. They don't share their wives with other people. Are they insane? Um, No, we love. And that's what people need to start recognizing in us as more than just argumentative, but living the life that we promise. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timmy. I just want to share a quick story. When I was working in the Crisis Pregnancy Center, I remember there's this woman, and I may have shared this before, uh, who was looking to have an abortion, ended up choosing life, praise God, has her baby. And just within a couple weeks of having had the child and bringing the baby girl home, 
uh, there was a fire that broke out within the house. And as the fire broke out in the house, um, the dogs were barking. Uh, the dogs, though, because the family had just brought home this new baby and were sleep deprived and exhausted, they ignored the dogs. And it was only the cry of that baby that we, they held is so valuable that alerted them to the smoke and the flames within the home. And the family was able to escape just in time as their home was engulfed in flames. And they carried that precious baby girl out. And it was incredible to me because I remember sitting, listening as the counselors were talking to this woman after sharing kind of this miraculous story. And they're talking about like, this was the purpose in her life. She's so special. And like, it caused them to love her even more. But I'm sitting there thinking, well, would she be less valuable if she hadn't woken them, if the fire hadn't broken out? No, we're human, human beings. We're not human doings. And I say this all the time, people laugh, but the reality is, is that just by the existence of her life, from the moment of her creation, she had great value. It didn't matter if she awoke the whole household to flames that would have burned down the house and the family. She has a value despite what she did. It's another beautiful thing about being a Christian and recognizing everything that we have as a gift is that we may have something extremely dramatic like that happen. And it'll make so clear to us that, you know, that life is a gift right. or, or what we have in front of us is, is all gift. And even when we try to throw it away, but then something dramatic happens and it's not making that thing more of a gift than it was before. It's just God allowing us to see that in our hearts, like, oh, this life is such a gift and it's, you know, and the giver is good. Yeah. Yeah. It makes us put into perspective, you know, our arguments that we make for quality of life or, you know, based on any type of mental illness or something that a child might have. No, our value is intrinsic to who we are, not what we do. Let's, Father Tim, talk about this life confirmation of Sarah Pitlick. You're listening to Trending with Timory. The Huffington Post put out this piece that you sent over, Father Tim, talking about how Sarah Pitlick, a new life confirmation for a judge, uh, this lady is anti-woman, she's anti-IVF and surrogacy, she doesn't want women to be happy. I mean, it just goes on and on. They're so upset because she's Catholic. She's even a counsel to the Thomas More Society that's doing incredible work work legally. Um, They're talking about how she has said that surrogacy and IVF is harmful to mothers and children. She talks about how it exploits women and commodifies children. And I mean, it's just incredible. She just nails it on the head and they're so irate. Right. And there's a a senator from Illinois, um, Senator Tammy Duckworth, who um, herself has children from IVF and uh, she acknowledges this as something great in her life because you know she struggled with infertility for some time. But then she she looks at uh, Sarah Pitlick and says, "You know, this is somebody that I couldn't trust if I walked into the courtroom and there and there she was." And she says something very interesting and I think quite misleading. But maybe this is just how she understood it. And she says that uh, Miss Pitlick mentioned that you know children conceived with the help of assisted reproductive technology are inferior. Mm-hmm. By looking at IVF and surrogacy and saying that this is actually getting in the way of what true motherhood and fatherhood are meant to be, that somehow the, the children are inferior. Now, I can't imagine 
that actually being her intent to say that the children are inferior. But this is what uh, this senator heard. But now that she's also representing this side as you know, those who are against IVF and against surrogacy think that ch children born from it are inferior. And we couldn't say that that, we, we must say that couldn't be further from the truth. It's not what we think. And right? I think it's the same argument when people try to say, oh, because I'm living in a gay relationship, you think my love's inferior. Mm -hmm. No, you, I don't think you're inferior. And a lot of people will reduce it to them. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that just because something's wrong doesn't mean the person isn't valuable. And I think that that's why it ties in well with earlier topic we were just talking about with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. There's value to who you are. And this is what Sarah Pitlick is confirming. And she's saying, you know, this, in fact, when we are in favor of in vitro fertilization surrogacy, it, she talks about how it essentially weakens our attitude toward abortion and leads toward eugenics. And that's what's scary. You mentioned it earlier as well. People in IVF and surrogacy are selectively choosing which children they want to implant and which they either allowed to be aborted or frozen. I mean, this is what's awful about it. This commodification and industrialization of fertility is a very dangerous and slippery slope to begin to walk down. And uh, praise God that we have judges now that can speak against that. Amen. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. We're back. Father Tim Grumbach is in studio with us. We're talking about this theme of eugenics, which ties into a story we'll be talking about in a little bit about this lesbian couple who they claim is the first couple to carry a baby in both their wombs. Put a question mark at the end of that. Hold it there. We'll come right back to that in a second. Father Tim, someone recently asked me, she said, you know, I believe in everything the church teaches. I am not okay with in vitro fertilization or surrogacy, but I'm seeing, you know, young family members, girls who are deciding to sign up to be surrogates. How can I talk them out of this? Mm. Part of it is this great desire for life and the culture's uh, counterfeiting almost uh, uh, manipulating of what that means of, of being able to be a mother and to be able to, in their sense, help those who are struggling with infertility, but doing so without the, the truth of him, human sexuality and the gift that God has given to us in it uh, at the center of it. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to first recognize with in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, all of these issues combined together deal with some pretty tricky medical treatment. First of all, in vitro fertilization often is not successful, um, even in its first, second, or third round. Sometimes it's never successful. You guys, I run into people all the time at the coffee shop where, you know, me, I talk about really controversial topics and somehow end up talking to my neighbor sitting at a table next to me. I, I have talked so many times to men and women. I recall specifically. Specifically, one gentleman talks about how he and his wife went through multiple rounds of in vitro fertilization. She has never been the same, both in terms of her health medically and in terms of her mental health. And just to cause the body to super ovulate, which the body's not meant to do. Usually a woman only releases one egg when she ovulates each month. And to cause her body to do that is something that the body was never meant to do. And they're causing the body to 
ovulate and, and produce 30, 40 eggs, maybe more or less at one time, this is incredibly harmful to the body, often causing permanent infertility down the road as well and many other health risks. And praise God that we're able to point to the physical risks that come with this, but we also have moral risks as well. And yeah. while we might not be able to speak that into certain elements of the culture, they don't want to listen to these rules that somehow we've put in place. But what we're really speaking into is the, the truth and the dignity of the human person. And so what are some of the moral issues that come up with IVF and with surrogacy? Well, one is that you have uh, anonymous laboratory technicians suddenly putting these cells together. And so that is the foundation of this child's life is that they've been somewhat created in a laboratory yeah. in a sense. Uh, what else is there? There is um, reducing the parents to pretty much producers of cells yeah. rather than letting an act of love be the creating element of this child. An incubator, um, yeah, reducing yeah. a woman to an incubator. Right, I mean, right. Women complain all the time about you know this theme of being barefoot in the kitchen. Well, essentially, that's what we're doing. We're just paying people mm -hmm. to do it now. That mm -hmm. kind of sounds like a streetwalker to me. Yeah, and another thing is, without getting too graphic, is honestly, with pornography and masturbation being an, an element yeah. of of this laboratory process, that's something that is morally very troublesome because it means that the the child is not coming from this the one flesh union between a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, even though that's not the case all the time, uh, yeah. we admit, but for it to be actively the case, and that is um, how this comes about, that's something I'm, morally. Yeah, you know. and I know you're being delicate with your words, but mm -hmm. I'm just gonna be real clear if you don't get this, because it's important. They, you have to masturbate in order to produce the sperm. It's, there are very rare cases where they will do it in other ways in an act of regular sexual intercourse um, to extract the sperm. But I mean, think about that. The man has to sit there and masturbate either to be a donor, a sperm donor, or to try and conceive a life of his own. I mean, just it's so sad. And in order to do that, they need to use pornography. I mean, I'm sorry I'm going there, but you need to understand how twisted the act of love has um, gone away from that act of love. We've turned so far away from it and convoluted it all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is something that is a major issue throughout social media and other commentary right now is the role of pornography in our culture. Yeah. And you know, some will come up with very reasoned arguments against pornography, which is good to have those reasoned arguments. But part of me is thinking, that's just an idol we need to cast back down to hell. And, and why do we have to come up with arguments against it? Amen. So uh, we're walking through the process here. The next process is then you have these babies, this new distinct human life that sometimes come about, right? But then those children are already more fragile because usually the people involved have already been having infertility issues. So now we're playing with new babies and riskily moving them around in a laboratory, moving them around in one womb. In this case, we'll be talking a little later about maybe even from one womb to another. This causes, this is irresponsibility essentially because babies die along the way because they rarely ever just implant one child at a time because they want to see, well, how many will actually continue to live on? And then at that point, okay, you're pregnant with four children or in the case of Octomom 8, Octomom chose not to abort seven of those babies. In the reality, most women end aborting two, three, four, one of those children. And sometimes the surrogate faces the challenge of she's now carrying two or three children and the person who's paying her to be the surrogate wants one of those babies aborted. Right. And then what do we do with the 
uh, the embryonic children, the, oh, the, the the children that are conceived, but then kept, you know, usually frozen or sometimes even destroyed. And this is something that uh, science will point to: is that these these are new human lives, and our morality will take that even deeper. Is you know, now what do we do with this? And honestly, this is a question that the church recognizes as almost an unsolvable dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people will say, well, you know. To bring those children to term, let's let's find some surrogate mothers and bring these children uh, into the world as uh, as developing human beings. But that even that the church recognizes as a very problematic yeah. solution. There's no morally illicit solution. I mean, JP two mm-hmm. says essentially we we cause such havoc and chaos and first mm-hmm. creating life like this. There's no um, morally illicit way of getting out of this mess now, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and we also do have to speak the word of of, of mercy and hope to. The those parents who have been through IVF and have raised children and are raising children is that, yes, we're saying it now. These these children are beloved children of God. They're not Amen. inferior to uh, children born otherwise. And, you know, because I, I know some parents who have gone through IVF and are raising their children and wonderful young men and women, but that it's still something that we have to say, we have to speak into it, that, that love and that mercy without coming off as we're condemning the action that you've done. And so we're condemning that child. Yeah. I want to at least touch on one more point here. Why not surrogacy? Maybe you're doing this. Maybe you know someone who is trying to do this out of the goodness of their heart. They want to help someone who can't conceive a child. Or maybe that person is in dire financial need. And I think, well, at least I can do something good in the midst of getting some sort of financial gain. This is what you're contributing, though, in agreeing to becoming a surrogate. You're contributing to the increase of abortion. You're contributing to the increase, to be quite frank, and a contraceptive lifestyle that I can contracept until I suddenly decide I want to have want to have children then oops suddenly I have you know issues with fertility you're contributing to you know the struggle of what surrogacy is and you're contributing to the exploitation of women who are literally being taken advantage of every single day who are being imported from other countries or who speak little English you're taking advantage of the poor yeah and the element of sex trafficking and sex slavery comes into it in some countries as well maybe even in our own country. Right. Uh, and that aside, there's even the legal issues of um, what legal responsibility or authority do these mothers, these surrogate, surrogate mothers have? Oh, gosh. Uh, should they you know, desire or see it as the best safety of the child for right. them to have some custody? You guys, they, we could do a whole show on this. One other kind of element that we didn't even touch on is what about those children who are now born through surrogacy, born through IVF. And we're hearing cases about this all the time, you know, through 23andMe and all these cases where people suddenly find out, my father's not my father, my mother's not my mother. And it's shocking and they want to know their parents. They want to know not just the surrogate, they want to know the sperm donor, they want to know the egg donor, and they want to know, you know, the parents who who have then raised them. I mean, we're at the point where people can have up to five different individuals involved in having participated in trying to create that life in that way. I mean, children are confused and heartbroken. And shouldn't we know that a fundamental part of who we are, think about the culture of divorce and everything we've been through. We have a desire to know our parents, to be loved by our parents, and to see our parents happily together. And that's a fundamental right of who we are as human beings, especially since we can use the language because God himself has given it to us that his very relationship with us is parental. Absolutely. It's not us projecting our parents onto God, but God projecting his life and his fatherhood 
into the life of our fathers and into the life of our mothers as well. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie. With the last bit of time we have left, I want to talk about the story directly related. Story comes out, the telegraph, that the first lesbian couple has come out to carry in both of their wombs, both the women's wombs, their baby. Now, it's interesting. It claims, and it's actually not clear. Uh, apparently, one of the women, um, they harvested the egg from the woman, and she. it looks like she then took the egg for 18 hours before it being implanted in the woman who carried the baby to term. Now, it's not clear if they had inseminated the egg and that was a new distinct human life or if they harvested the egg, knew they harvested it and then put it back into her body before then implanting it and then creating new life and putting it in the other woman. Either way, they're trying to create the best light possible through this situation. And one of them suggested that it brings you closer together rather than feeling one has a bond more than the other. And what strikes me most about this is that is built into parenthood, is that one has a bond greater than the other does, is that in fatherhood is that there is this lack of that bond that the mother has with child. And so that's built into nature. And now we are doing something that is not natural, that is trying to uh, erase a bond that was created in a natural way for a, a mysterious and beautiful reason by our creator. But also, it doesn't seem to be for the good of the child in any means. This seems to be, in a sense, for the mothers. They're claiming that they can both have this same relationship with this child, and it doesn't seem to be for the good of the child at all. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 